2: looking after those who need help. We talk to the Executive Director of the New London Homeless Hospitality Centre about the challenges shelters like them face and to Don one of their many guests. Plus we take a look at other stories making the headlines from around the region. This is Connecticut East This Week. Hello, I'm Brian Scott-Smith. Even before COVID-19 came along, there were many in our communities who were suffering and needed help. Thankfully, there are services out there that provide shelter, food and resources for those who would otherwise fall between the cracks of other systems that are supposed to be there for them. I sat down recently with Cathy Zoll, the Executive Director of the New London Homeless Hospitality Centre, to talk about the challenges they have faced before and during COVID-19 and what is still to come for many of their guests. Cathy, thanks obviously for being on Connecticut East this week. We want to talk about a lot of things because there's a lot of challenges for you know, centres and, and resources like the one that you run. But before we get into that, just tell us a little bit of background. Uh, you know, how did this organisation start?
0: Well, we started about 15 years ago, basically as a group of people living in New London when some people died out in the woods uh, because there was nowhere for them them to go. And uh, under the leadership of someone who passed away, unfortunately, a number of years ago, Father Emma Jarrett, he just said, we're not going to live in a city where people die outside in the woods. And so when we started, we opened up a church hall and uh, threw down some mats and got some volunteers and said to people who are going to be outside come on in and at least you'll be warm and we've really grown since then just trying to become more and more responsive to the needs of people experiencing homelessness.
2: I think what's interesting as well is that you in your title have the the word hospitality center. Yes. Why?
0: Well our roots really do come out of the faith community And hospitality is a very rich spiritual word, right? We are not service providers. These are our guests. And we really, from the very beginning, and we're trying so hard to keep that, is we are here to welcome people. We're here to support people, to, you know, really treat them as our guests. And I think it's just a very important distinction between being a service provider And being not so much a ministry in the religious sense, but in the sense of welcome, in the sense of uh, having people feel respected and seen and known and and treated as individuals.
2: Because words are so important in every part of our lives, and this is where we often fall down, isn't it, is we use the wrong words.
0: Well, words are good, actions are better. (laughs) So that's the challenge. You can call yourself the hospitality center, but it's it's a real challenge to offer hospitality. And we we have guests, a number of guests here who are very difficult. You know, very very difficult. And to keep that spirit of hospitality. Uh, day in, day out, and especially through COVID, through, you know, sometimes lack of resources. It's a challenge, but it gives us a guiding star. Hospitality is our guiding star.
2: Tell us a little bit about some of the services that you do actually provide here.
0: Yeah. So our most basic service, of course, is emergency shelter. And I think everybody understands what that is. It's a place to sleep, to be safe, to be warm or to be cool if it's it's, uh, hot out. And during the day, we have a hospitality center because people are homeless during the day as well with bathrooms and showers and all the, you know, access to the everyday things that that people will need. A new set of clothes, uh, some sunscreen, you know, whatever people need. But that's really the foundation. And from there, what we're really trying to do is to support people as they work to get back to housing. So we have a help center, for example. If you've lost all your IDs, they'll help you get a new one. If you don't have the $25 to get a new birth certificate, they'll, they'll pay that for you. They'll give you some bus tickets to go to an interview, et cetera. And then we have a big rehousing operation to help people find housing, and we're accessing a lot of state funds that assist people with first-month rent and security deposits so people can get back into housing. And then just trying to help people stay housed. Uh, it's challenging, whether that be through employment, through health-related services, just trying to do all we can so that people can be safe while they're homeless, but housed as quickly as possible.
2: Obviously, running a, a facility like this under normal circumstances is challenging enough. And then, of course, COVID-19 came along and completely shut the world down. How Didn't mu-
0: shut us down.
2: I was going to say, how, how much of a challenge did it cause for you, though? or what extra challenge did it cause for you?
0: very stressful, I would say. I mean, there were shelters that closed and I just couldn't see how were we gonna do that? I mean, people need, this is to me, is like an essential service. So essentially we just really, the staff did an unbelievable job, especially in the early days before the vaccine. We had people who continued to come in uh, despite the uncertainty and provide the, you know, the support and staffing that we needed. And we've just been very close contact with our health department. We spread out. We have fewer people in the shelter now than we did. We're wearing masks. And obviously, once vaccination started, we pushed very hard on vaccines. So I'm very proud to say I don't think in the whole of the pandemic, we've identified more than two transmissions here at the shelter. And we're not even sure those were transmissions, but... And then for a while, at the height of it, we opened a special isolation site with help from the state down on Viette Street so that anybody who was symptomatic or, or was ill was able to go there. And we ran another isolation site in Norwich for a while. So it was a lot of work, but, you know... I I think we had some good success with it.
2: I was going to say, because I think a lot of people don't realise, one, you know, the work that many shelters do, but secondly, when it comes to COVID, of course, you have to adhere to all of the regulations, just like everybody else, and then some.
0: Well, and you want to, right? Because a congregate setting like a shelter is the the breeding ground of a crisis. And so I think almost more the day-in, day-out nerves of, you know were we doing everything right? Were we missing something? Was that little cough that you heard off to the side something that we should be investigating, or was it not? And you have to remember, in a shelter, we have a constant turnover of new people coming from everywhere, from all over the country, from prison, from other congregate shelters, which may not be as careful. So I think the stress of it was probably, you know, sort of almost the biggest factor of day in, day out. It's like being a lifeguard. You know, you sit on that lifeguard stand and and never rescue anybody but that one minute (laughs) that you do have to rescue somebody. And so um, I'm just so grateful to all the staff and how hard they worked and and how well they, they managed through very difficult times.
2: Of course, you know, as we said, COVID is still very much sadly with us, although we hopefully are starting to see the light at the end of the tunnel despite variants, etc. It still causes a lot of work for you. One of the things which is of concern is obviously the eviction moratorium um, could come to an end soon, which could potentially place a lot of people into a homeless situation again. What's your take on this? I mean, obviously, you're following this closely.
0: Mm. Not in New London. And the primary reason is that while COVID has been horrible, the federal response has been unbelievable. And there's a federal program called Emergency Rental Assistance or ERA in Connecticut. It's called Unite CT. And it is available to provide up to $15,000 per household in back rent and rent going forward. Honestly, there will be people who will be evicted. There's no doubt about it. But it is not going to be because they were affected by COVID and couldn't pay their rent. So we have a big operation down at our other place at 727 Bank Street where we are just trying to, you know, people can apply online, but some people don't have computers. And so honestly, we, we, what we need to be doing right now is getting everyone Applying for Unite CT because there's money there, I think $245 million in the state of Connecticut, of which only 70 something has been spent. So there's money out there to help people with back rent.
2: Obviously, the other thing, of course, is uh, although we're sat outside in relatively nice weather today talking, winter is sort of around the corner. What's the strategy there? Because, again, we're hearing about, you know, with COVID, with possible third dose or with, like, booster shots. So, again, you know, we've got the masking situation currently here in in New London. What's the strategy going forward? Because, again, this isn't like a knee-jerk reaction thing. You have to plan for this stuff.
0: Of course, yeah. Well, we're going to do the same thing, I hope, this winter that we did last winter. So, in the winter, we open an overflow Uh, shelter space. It's simple. It's just mats on the floor. So once the shelter is full, uh, last year we were at All Souls Unitarian Universalist Congregation. I'm still looking for space for this coming winter. I don't know. God will provide. (laughs) And basically what we do is we just get an overflow space where people can be socially distanced, but yet be out out of the cold. And we, you know, receive last year FEMA money and this year I'm not sure exactly what funding source so we can have staffing and just help people stay safe and have a place to be inside. Have you seen an increase in in
2: people through the doors of, of the shelter not necessarily because of COVID but just generally?
0: No and I think that's because of the eviction moratorium. So unfortunately, um, in the past, a lot of very poor people who are right at the edge you know uh, of, of financial viability evictions were a big a big part of who ended up in homelessness. So that's changed, obviously, with the moratorium. So we haven't seen a big increase um, in numbers. And the unemployment benefits helped a lot of people who might otherwise have ended up being homeless because they were gig workers or, or other things. So I would say I'm more fearful, actually, the time ahead with the unemployment benefits expiring. We're going to work really hard to get everybody to unite CT, but some landlords don't want to participate. So I don't know, but I think this next six months could be quite a challenge.
2: They're sort of potentially predicting quite a hard winter this year. I mean, obviously, we have to wait and see. So, I mean, that could potentially put a even further strain, obviously, on resources. You
0: know, I just try to worry about today, today.
2: <laughs> I just want to put so like a final question to you. As the executive director, you carry a lot of weight on your shoulders like any executive director. What keeps you coming back every day?
0: You know, a lot of times people sort of ask a question similar to that to me. And and the only thing I can say is I love it. I love it. Every day I'm just, you know, that that I can make with, with my colleagues here some small difference in the lives of people who are very, very poor and have so little. I think cynicism is just rampant. And there's no need for it, right? We all have within our power the the ability to improve the lives of others. And we just need to do whatever our little part is. We need to do it. And so I just feel blessed. I feel blessed that every day I get up and I do something I care about and I feel like I'm making a difference and you know underneath it is a a religious motivation for me I'm also a minister and I just feel this is what we're all called to do which is to love one another and that means to take care as best we can of one another so I have no complaints except we could use more money but I have a friend who's working on that. (laughs) Um, Thank you.
2: Kathy Zaw, Executive Director of the New London Homeless Hospitality Centre. Thank you for the interview. Thank you. Each year, the centre partners with more than 700 of their neighbours as they find a way out of homelessness. New London resident Donald Richardson needed the hospitality centre for a few days and became connected to all of the services the centre offered. He's now getting back on his feet and shared his story with us. So we're talking to Donald Richardson. Donald, Davis, have so many thanks for talking to us on Connecticut East this week. The New London Homeless Hospitality Centre, how did they help you?
1: They helped me in so many ways with the resources growing up I had to do. I don't know how to say that. I mean, I had to get out my own way. I made some bad choices. That's how it led up to this. The, the mindset I come from, the life that I chose with my substance abuse, come from a broken home, been in and out of jail a third of my life. It's funny because I, <laughs> I got up off my butt when I became homeless and became in a, got in a shelter, and I knew for me that was rock bottom. And I went and got help for myself. I went to Stornton Institution and one thing led to another. I met Miss Brown and she carried me away. She gave me everything I needed, resources,
2: took her time out, to even listened to me. How important was that to you? Because, I mean, like you said, you'd gone through a lot in your life. So how important was it to be able to finally have some people that you could just sit down, talk to, and they could say, hey, look, we we can work with you. Let's work this out.
1: It was very important to me. It made me humble. It made me grow up fast. It made
2: me accept certain things they helped you get a job yes sir so tell us a little bit about that what were you looking for and what were they able to to help you find because you know work's very important for all of us
1: well great question i just wanted employment at the time because i knew i didn't have anyone and it mean a lot to me when somebody is there for me i mean i had to accept a lot of things like i was telling you i made a lot of bad choices that led up to that because so i just wanted help and move forward just work keep in touch with miss brown and pay attention to what i'm doing and you know, adapt to that because I've always been in the streets.
2: So, having obviously a job was that sort of like you know part of that that refocusing for you that gave you something. To, just to say, talk, t- talk, talk to us a little bit about that.
1: It gave me balance. It gave me responsibility. It made me get up. It gave me goals. Show admiration. I wanted to give back. I wanted to feel good again.
2: Apart from you know, your own personal story, obviously when you came to the hospitality center, there are other clients here as well. Did you talk to other people? I mean, apart from the staff here who do an amazing job, did you talk to some of the other clients who were here as well and listen to their stories or for
1: the first time I think I started worrying by myself. I had to put my recovery first and sound may sound so I had to speak to people that was doing better than me. I didn't really want to connect thoughts I want nobody to co sign my stuff far as the clients go. Because we all have the same addictions and the same, you know, so it's easy for them to co sign what I'm doing and my negativity. So I ain't really, I wanted to get out my own way for a minute and see what I can do.
2: So that was a personal choice. I mean, obviously, that's a very important choice yeah, for you. Absolutely. Going on 40 years old, I had to. And since you've started to turn around everything around in your life, I mean, just talk to us about how you feel now and where you hope to go.
1: Oh, I'm back to myself, man. I'm, I'm dealing with emotions. Of course, I'm. Dealing with fear right now. Talking to you. I'm, I'm back in touch with God. I, I talk to God every morning.
2: Talk to us a little bit about your religion, because a lot of people aren't religious these days. And well, religion I'm, I'm is it something that people? I have can focus no religion.
1: On. I just, I just have a, a relationship with God, man. I, I'm tired of being confused. There's no way you could, for me anyway, I could go about religion. I just want to put him first, and then
2: I'll take care of the rest. Where do you want to move forward to? What, what are some of the goals that you've set for yourself now?
1: Good question again, Ryan. I try not to go far reach. I just focus for me and during my recovery because I'm still in my recovery. I just try to take one day at a time and try not to put too much on my shoulders and stress. Like I said, that's why I just, I just have a relationship with God. I try not to get into the religious thing. I put my recovery first and just build from
2: there. Like I try to make things easier for me. And how is the job going? I mean, tell us a little bit. It's um, a a restaurant job. That's a tough job to do. Absolutely. So just tell us a little bit. You don't have to tell us, obviously, where you work, but just tell us a little bit about, you know, what you do and and do you enjoy it and and what does it do for you?
1: It's definitely, I definitely enjoy it because I I didn't know how to cook, so it was a challenge for me. And I got a great boss, man. He took me from a dishwasher to a prep. Now he's showing me how to cook. So he, he know I don't know how to do none of these things, but he's willing to teach me, and that's keeping me humble grounded i look forward to going to work i don't i'll be there before him and i stay in touch with miss brown i try not to and i go through my own demons i'll be wanting to deviate thinking it's all over thinking i made it or however but i stay grounded make sure i stay grounded
2: what do you think was that final thing like you said you're you're almost 40 years old what suddenly sort of like just clicked in your head that you suddenly felt like i need to change this being
1: in and out of jail a third of my life and making it to the shelter and then experiencing COVID, that was rock bottom for me. That, that I, I knew something had to give, and I knew I was only doing a lot of this to myself. I never been in no real situation where I was hurt. My lifestyle was just a mess, and I and I didn't believe in myself due to the fact the substance I was taking, coping to being a father that was that wasn't easy. Looking back, being in institutions ain't making no better because I I missed out on life a lot of information out there I don't know so I had to reach out I had to get out of my comfort zone
2: and and seek the resources that the shelter gave me and put my pride to the side to anyone who's listening to this who's listening to your story about you know the success you've now brought for yourself because of the changes that you've made to your life what would you say to anybody who's listening out there who might still be a bit concerned or might be a bit hesitant maybe coming to somewhere like this what would you say to them
1: when you at rock bottom, you got you just gotta submit, man. It ain't it, it's, it's not gonna hurt you once you submit and ask for help, man. Like the help is out here. I know this for a fact. Like I'm meeting people that I thought I wouldn't never meet, and they invite me into their life willingly because I'm helping myself. So the it's, it's out there. Sometimes you gotta get out your own way, man, and don't worry about what people are gonna think about you. Get that out your head. Just ask for help, man. Just pay attention. I mean, everybody wake up to this battle, man. It's not picking and choosing anyone. We all wake up to this battle. You got your health, man. Take it from there. Don't be lazy. And don't take your problems out on nobody else. Miss Brown got problems. She got she going through things, but she helped me. I won't let Ms. Brown down. That's that's how I challenge myself. I could be my own worst enemy, Brian, but when I got Miss Brown in my corner, I'm not gonna let her down. She put too much time into me. She believed in me. You need people like that around you.
2: Donald, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. It's a pleasure to meet you too, man. Continued success with your recovery and everything that you're doing in your life as well. Oh, recovery
1: comes first. Don't even cheat on that. Recovery comes first. Every flu season, thousands of children younger than five are hospitalized from flu complications. Each year, children die from flu you have the power to protect your loved ones this flu season. CDC recommends everyone six months and older get an annual flu vaccine. Some children will need two doses to be fully protected. So don't wait. Get yourself and your family vaccinated today. Learn more at cdc.gov fightflu fight flu. Tree damage caused by high winds, hurricanes, or stormy weather, Green Valley Tree has you covered.
0: We offer emergency storm service for residential, commercial, and even municipalities. From full removals, uprooted or broken trees, to broken and fractured limbs, no job too big or small. If you need immediate emergency service outside our regular business hours, call our emergency hotline at 860-966-5710 and visit
1: our website at GreenBellyTreeWorks.com for details of our other services.
2: Time now for a look at some of the other stories making the headlines in the region recently. After a Freedom of Information request by Connecticut East this week to the city of Groton, details as to why the director of Groton Utilities, Ronald Godet, has been placed on unpaid suspension until October 18th have been revealed. In a pre-disciplinary letter from the mayor of the city of Groton, multiple incidents of bullying, verbal abuse and creating a hostile working environment involving Godet's behaviour were highlighted. Godet also used the F-word on several occasions as well as losing his temper. The city of Groton suspended Godet for what they termed as violating the city's employee conduct policy. Godet is required to undergo mutual respect training on his return as well as counselling. In a separate incident in 2017, Godet was found in violation of Groton's Municipal Code of Ethics due to his attendance at a Connecticut Municipal Electric Energy Cooperative-funded junket to the 2016 Kentucky Derby which led to federal indictments against several other attendees and members of CMEEC, scheduled to go on trial this November. Godet joined Groton Utilities in 2015 and is a former director of utilities at the University of Connecticut and a senior utilities engineer at Pfizer Incorporated. The submarine base in Groton held its change of command ceremony recently. Captain Kenneth Curtin became the 53rd commanding officer of the base and recounted that being at the sub-base has been almost half of his life.
0: It was March 1986 when I first walked through the front gates down there as a young 18-year-old petty officer reporting for basic enlisted submarine school. I don't think I really even knew what a submarine was at that point. The recruiter had made some promises to me that I would get some special electronics training. And even more importantly, I was told that the food is better than anywhere else in the Navy. And in hindsight,
1: both of those promises are very, very accurate.
2: Captain Todd Moore, the outgoing commanding officer, thanked those in attendance at the ceremony and in closing paid special tribute to his wife. I only got this job because the detailers know how good Carrie would be at it. If I ever had a good idea in command, you can be sure that she was behind it and just as sure... The bad ideas I implemented were never briefed to her beforehand. She has been the not-so-secret weapon that, far more than anything I did, has made this installation a better place to live and work. Moore oversaw the sub-base for two and a half years, and one of his biggest challenges was keeping the base secure and operational during the COVID-19 pandemic. Moore will remain at the subbase and move to a new position at the Undersea Warfighting Centre. The change of command happens at the subbase every two to three years. The tribes of both casinos have officially launched retail sports betting at their venues, Rodney Butler is the chairman of the Mashantucket Pequot Tribal Nation, owners of Foxwoods, and said it was essential they keep up with changing times. We have to
0: migrate to sports betting, and we have to get online. Every other industry is going there. say we made progress under the last administration, and significant progress in retail gaming in the last administration. But under the governor and his vision and understanding of business and the, and, and the importance of
2: technology, and more so now than ever during this pandemic, how every industry was moving online. Governor Lamont welcomed the move and said it's financially important for the state to get behind progress like this.
0: What we've got in the budget for the next couple of years is, you know, $10 million uh, plus between uh, the two casinos, iGaming Sports. Then you've got the lottery on top of that. I think we'd like to think within uh, four or five years maybe it means about $100 million in revenues to the state all in annually.
2: The two casinos have teamed up with major national sports brands to bring sports betting to fruition – Foxwoods has teamed up with DraftKings, a digital sports entertainment company based out of Boston, and Mohegan Sun has partnered with FanDuel, another sports tech entertainment company with headquarters in New York. In the Connecticut Examiner this week, Dr. Susan Doyon, medical director at the Connecticut Poison Control Center, discussed a request to fund two additional positions in anticipation of a significant rise in child poisonings given the recent legalization of recreational marijuana. Doyen said she was most concerned about an increase in small children ingesting edibles, which she said make up about half the calls the center receives each year. Doyen said that children who ingest marijuana often experience severe vomiting and nausea, which can be followed by depression of the central nervous system, a condition that can lead to a coma. She said that the majority of these children end up in intensive care for a few days. Doyne said that four years ago the department received about 20 calls a year regarding children ingesting edible cannabis. Last year that jumped to more than 100. In the day this week the Stonington public school system was targeted by a ransomware attack. Superintendent of schools Van Riley said the school system staff worked quickly to designate a team of technology professionals to respond to the attack as soon as they learned of it. They also engaged third-party breach investigation mitigation and response experts. Town police captain Todd Olsen said police have been working closely with the school system regarding the attack and helped connect the district with the Federal Bureau of Investigation for further help. In the Norwich Bulletin this week, uncertainty about the species of a massive catfish that was eaten before it could be vetted by authorities in August has led Connecticut to withdraw its awarding of a new state record. Connecticut Fish and Wildlife wrote in a Facebook post that because it was not able to examine the actual fish, authorities cannot confirm it was a white catfish. Without the ability to examine the actual fish, identification is left to still images and videos, which have proven to be ambiguous and inconclusive to definitely identify the species of catfish in this case, adding that it is not disputing the weight of the catch that was made on August 21st. Ben Tom Kunis of Coventry, who caught the 21.3-pound fish, said he gave it to his grandfather the morning after he caught it and it was eaten. In the Middletown Press this week, if you thought your mail delivery was slow, it's about to get even slower. The United States Postal Service is implementing a part of their 10-year plan that overall will have longer first-class mail deliveries, cut back on location hours and increase the price of stamps. October 1st marks the start of the longer first-class mail deliveries. The 10-year plan from USPS says first-class mail has declined since 2007 and that ground deliveries have outperformed air deliveries. Statistics show ground delivery has 92% on-time delivery, compared to air, which has 89.4% on-time delivery. Overall, the 10-year plan is projected to save the USPS $58 billion. The plan also shows the Postal Service could gain $24 billion in revenue from self-help management initiatives, including package growth, new competitive products, and pricing changes.